us. He can put the Spirit inside of us. So now we share the same essence that Jesus has, and that's the Spirit of God. So Marilette has the Spirit of God, so has I. We have the Spirit of God. And that's how we become the body of Christ. Is that the Spirit of God incorporates us into the body, into Jesus. So everything that Jesus did, he did through the Spirit. Guess what? Everything that he did, we can also do collectively. You might not all be able to prophesy accurately and all to raise the dead, but all of us have the Spirit. And if we collectively encourage one another, we can actually do what Jesus did on this earth. People can look at the church in George and they can, they can say, wow, this is everything that Jesus did. Because all of us collectively are now members of this body and we're doing our job. That's why, for instance, communion, communion is so beautiful. Communion is to remember the body of Christ. Remember the body of Christ. We drink his blood. We eat his flesh. We become Jesus. Through the Spirit, obviously the flesh, that's bread, and the wine is just wine. But through the Spirit, in that supernatural experience, which we call the born-again experience, we become like Jesus. Paul said, I was crucified with Jesus, and now raised again. In his victory. So here's this, another important thing that, that, he, that he mentions here. And that He says that it's no more Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We have a new identity. You now have this identity of this team. You are part of the church. You are the body of Christ. You can look into the mirror every morning. You can say, hey, this is your new identity. You are part of the body of Christ. Not your surname, not your cultural group, not your race, not the nation that you come from, not your bank account, not your girlfriend. Your identity, your primary your your primary identity is now that you are in Christ and you are part of the body of part of the body of Christ. And only when you submit all that you are, you are reconnored them, that you fact that you're English, the fact that you're gifted, the fact that you're even male, the fact that you have lots of money, the fact you don't have lots of money, that will only become valuable once you've submitted all of that in this process of baptism to Jesus where you have died to your old life so that he can pull you out of that, so that he can redeem whatever he has given you. And then your identity as an Afrikaner is a blessing. Then your identity as a as Zulu is a blessing. Then your identity as a male is a blessing. Then your identity as a female is a blessing to this world. So I was reading over the, over the holiday, I was reading a book by... Hendrik Verwoerd's grandson. So Hendrik 
basically the architect of apartheid. So this guy is, he's a Christian, he's brought up with Christian values, and he is struggling, wrestling with, this, with the Lord in his journal as a young man. My grandfather instituted apartheid, but I know that Jesus has called me to love everybody. And he's struggling with the shame and the guilt of that. And then he has conversations with some of his black friends. And then one black guy comes to him and he says, you know what? In Jesus, it's actually redeemed. Your favorite surname will become a blessing to the kingdom of God under the lordship of Jesus. And he's like, how can that be? He says, yes, if you're now with us, us the black people, standing up against apartheid, if you're with us and you say that you are a favorite and you renounce the policies of your grandfather, that is powerful. And so he realized that his prime, primary identity is not the fact that he is Afghaner or that he is a grandson of Hendrik Favurt, but actually that he is now a Christian and he can stand across racial lines, across cultural differences. He can stand with those people, with God's people, and his surname, which he felt is a, it's condemning him, becomes something that redeems people around him. Beautiful. So everything about you will become a blessing, but you need to submit it to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You need to submit it to that process of being incorporated into the body of Christ, else it will not be a blessing. Then you can be a businessman, you can make lots of money, you can put it all into whatever community project you want to put it into, but it's just for your sake. So that you can look good. But if you give that to Jesus, everything, every gift, every personality trait, the way that you dress, even if you give that to Jesus, God redeems it. He puts his anointing on that and you can do something for Jesus. And if we all do that together, then collectively we become the body of Christ and people will flood to the church. Not only this church, but the church universally, they will flood to the church because they will see the embodiment of who Jesus is because everybody is looking for a leader like Jesus. If I tell you now that, hey, Jesus is going to come tomorrow and he's going to be the president of South Africa, all of you go like, yes! But that's not how Jesus wants it to be. He wants the body of Christ to operate in a way that ultimately from our midst there will be a leader that will be godly, Jesus-like, that understands the body of Christ's principle. There will be a godly leader, whether that's the president of South Africa, whether it's the chief of police in South Africa, whether it's the minister of finance, whether it's Sri Lanka prime minister, where there's chaos currently, so please pray for Sri Lanka. But it will come from the church. Because everybody wants a leader like Jesus. Everybody wants a king like Jesus. And if we model Jesus well, collectively, some of, 
some of you are like, yeah, I'm brilliant at modeling Jesus individually, but that is not the full picture of Jesus. You're amazing, and you're special, but you're not Jesus. You need other people with you to be the body of Christ. And then this church will then transform from just being the body of Christ into the spotless bride at the end. So there's this transformation that needs to happen. It's always amazing when you, when you help people through premarital preparation, you see these, these girls, these ladies, they, they're almost like normal people sitting there with their sneakers and their jeans, and then on the wedding day, you're like, what, is this the same person? Because it's this transformation that happened. They understand, they understand that they are preparing themselves for their husband, for that day that they're going to say yes to their husband, where God comes and he cuts covenant and brings them together. And that same kind of longing is in our hearts because of the spirit that's in us to prepare ourselves for that day that God will come back be reunited with his bride. So listen to what, what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 25 20, to 27. It's in the context of giving marital advice. So he's single, he's giving marital advice. If you have the Holy Spirit, you can do that. Husbands, love your wives. So if you're a husband, listen to this. Love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So you must do what Jesus did. You must lay yourself down for your husband, lover, server, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And what I want you to take from this is that Jesus is working in the church. God's like, hey, I love what I'm seeing at Shofar George. I love what I'm seeing in in Eagle's Nest, I love what I see in Patria. I love what I see. I'm busy working with them. I'm preparing them for the coming of, of the husband, which I am. And then Revelations 19 verse 7, this revelation given to John. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So Jesus is working, but also there's a responsibility put on us to prepare ourselves for this. So in other words, you need to start loving the people in church. You need to start forgiving the pastor that hurt you, or the leader, or your dad, or the spiritual figure, the mentor at school. Forgive them, build relationship, don't speak negatively about any denomination. Love them. Yes, speak the truth, but always in love because you need to start preparing the bride of Christ. Not only yourself, God's coming back for the collective, for the bride, for the church. Not primarily for the individual, for the church. You need to position yourself within the community with those people that irritate, frustrate, and offend you. And that's when we become beautiful without stain and wrinkle. And then 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, and this is Paul speaking about the church in Corinth, and he says, I am jealous for you 
with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. So if you want to become a leader in church, this should be your attitude. You should look at the people around you, whether it's your small group or the people in, in your, your sphere of influence that are Christian, and you should go like, I'm going to do my best to love the hell and the sin out of these people so that when Jesus comes back, I'm like, Jesus, here's your pride. Just take them. It was hard work. Just take them. You will obviously, you won't get offended with them. Just take them, Lord. But that's the position of leadership. Is you, you say, hey, I'm going to love you because I know there's one coming. I'm going to love you. It's so difficult. I'm going to love you. Yo, it's so difficult, but I'm going to love you. And I'm even going to love for God's jealousy to manifest in my heart. And that jealousy, it speaks of God's longing to be with his people. I'm going to start experiencing it, even emotionally, that God's longing for his people. I won't be able to take it when people just run away, run away from Jesus. I won't be able to handle it when brothers and sisters are not reconciled, when families are not reunited, when people get offended with church leadership or any other church. I won't be able to handle it. I will put my long nose in there and I will say, listen here, God loves you. I'm going to hug you. Join me. You are also a difficult customer. I am a difficult customer, but together we are the body of Christ. And what looks more like kingdom is that you and I just live on separate planets or you and I living in, our, in each other's faces, loving one another. That looks more like kingdom. What is the win for the kingdom? Okay, can the band come up? It's one of the biggest sins in our day and age is offense with the church. One of the biggest sins and with church people. And usually people are not, not offended by the building. They're offended by, by the people. And I, I come from a long lineage of pastors. So the first thing that I want to do is I want to repent on behalf of your pastor your mentor, your small group facilitator, your dad that didn't model this very well. I am sorry. I've also offended lots of people, and I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I remember the worst day of my life was in church leadership was I just started out, so I got a bunch of interns, and we have beautiful interns and amazing people that serve and I worked this guy so hard. Such a sweet guy. Balalam was his name. He worked so hard. We were in Stellenbosch. I was a student pastor. Three o'clock in the morning, we would put up banners of event that we did. Next morning, the students will just raid those same banners and it will be all gone. And the next day, we'll do it again. And then one day, he just said to me, oh, I'm burned out. I didn't see it coming took me completely by surprise. I said to him, hey, listen here, Vlelem, go home. Sorry, I apologize. Month after that, went back to him again, said, hey, I'm really sorry for what I've done. And 
and we were reconciled and and uh, he still every now, now and then he will contact me and, and speak to me. So we're on good terms now. But I remember the day that I realized that I messed this up, that I offended this guy. And, and it wasn't his doing. I know that. I was, it was two o'clock in the morning, early hours of the morning. I was just crying, sobbing. Gunal woke up and she's like, my wife's very straightforward. She said, shut up. Oh, <laughs> but she didn't know, just in her defense, she didn't know that I was crying. So I want to say, um, I'm sorry. I know there's some of you that are still struggling. Just to sit in church for years is a challenge because of what a pastor did or small group facilitator. But then I also want to quote the drunk guy in Stellenbosch. So he, he came to me and he said to me, he's like, oh, this guy just a week or so before that he looked me in the eye while he was drunk and he said, your mask appear in my face. So just to get, just, but God can use anybody. So it's Stellenbosch student life. If you've worked with young people, you're supposed to know how it goes. And he, and he came to me and he's like, oh. <laughs> but he's so honest. He says, Yo, you got something about you guys doing a good work here in the rest because we were quite radical. Lots of our friends got saved in, in Stellenbosch. Like, we were just going for it. We, we knew we had four years max with these people. They need to get saved because these are the world changes. That's what we believed about the res that we lived in. And he said, yeah, so many people are offended. He was speaking of Afrikaans. Like, so many, so many biomasters are offended. But you know what, man? Are you offended with the players in the game? And now they think they're offended with the game and they stop playing the game. I'm like, wow, it's wisdom. So if you're here and you're offended with somebody in church, a leader, or maybe just the fat people in church, I mean, metaphorically speaking, that's what I'm talking about, the gym people. Sorry, that's, I, didn't, I didn't mean to offend somebody by saying that. You're just offended by somebody that's not living the life, not modeling Jesus or judgmental or whatever. Please sort that out. ASAP. Because if you allow that bitterness to grow in your heart, you're going to get offended with the game. And ultimately, you're going to get offended with Jesus. And then you're going to lose your salvation. Not the pastor that offended you. Not the person that's judgmental in the church. But you're going to lose your salvation. And then one day when Jesus comes back, you yourself have chosen to separate yourself from the body of Christ, from the bride of Christ. And it's your responsibility to make that decision to come back. I can say sorry for the next 24 hours, but you, make, you need to make that decision. Say, Lord, I, I forgive and I'm willing to play the game. 
Because here's the, here's the metaphor for, for church. It's you standing in the circle on a rugby field. Somehow you got yourselves into Springbok jerseys. You're in Cape Town Stadium. You're playing the Welsh now. And you're standing there and you're like, why, why am I here? I'm not a rugby player. And you look to your left and you're like, wow, here's Ursula Colby. Are we going to play the real Welsh? And you see, wow, there's the real Welsh team. You're like, Ursula Colby, shucks. I don't, know, I don't think she can play. And you have, you have Leon there next to you and you're like, Leon, are you fit? And Keith's there and Henny is there and you're like, wow, maybe they can play a little bit of rugby. But I don't know if we have a chance of beating these people. But then somehow, supernaturally, all the giftings of the, the Vermeulens and the Peter Steff the Toys and the Colbys and the Mampimpis and the Faf de Clerics, all of that gets transported, imparted into your team. Their spirits, so to speak. And suddenly you look at Ursula, and Ursula is actually, she's now Cheslin Colby. And he's my pimpy. You're like, man, obviously, and suddenly you start feeling, man, you, you feel like Siakulisi. Man, obviously, we've beat them in the World Cup. We're the world champions. We beat the British Irish Lions. Obviously, we're going to win them now. Obviously. And that is who the church is. You're not going to like the people that God chose for this team. But you know what? With the Spirit of God inside, God inside of them, they will conquer the devil's team and everything that he throws at you. But you need to position yourself within this team. And you need to look at them and you need to not see Ursula Colby, but you need to see the spiritual version of Jason Colby. Like, wow, this is the best player for this team. Why? Because God's Spirit is living in them. And then Matthew 16 becomes a reality. Not even the gates of Hades. And that is a metaphor for the strongest force of hell will prevail against the church. And the picture is not us defending, oh, maybe, maybe. No, you won't come there. No, you're not going to score the try there. No, you're not going to steal your relationship there. You're not, no, you won't defend. No, that's not the picture of the church. The picture of the church is us just marching, marching forward. It's like, hey, we're going to take these souls. We're going to take every community in the Southern Cape, and we're going to see God being exalted and glorified through young people, old people. They're going to come together. They're going to worship. They're going to serve Jesus. We're going to fix the potholes. We're going to fix poverty. We're going to fix everything. We're going to fix it. Why? Not because we are cool. We are the worst team, but God picked us. That's the underdog story. All of you love the movie where the underdog wins. You, we are the underdogs. God chose us. And he modeled it in the disciples. Twelve fishermen. Some of them were tax collectors. There was a zealot. Peter couldn't even control his emotions. Most of them didn't pitch up 
in, G- in Jesus' worst moments at the cross. They couldn't even pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he chose them to model something. He will choose the useless people, us, and he will give them the Spirit of God, and they will stand up like Peter stood up in Acts 2. He will preach a simple sermon, and 3,000 people will get saved. Some of you have never opened your, your, your mouth speaking the gospel, and God's going to touch you with his spirit, and your brothers and sisters in Christ are going to say, hey, something's on you, go for it. And you're going to go like, no, I've never touched this gospel ball. I cannot run with it. And God's going to say, yes, you do it now. And in your weakness, he's going to be strong. And many people will come to know Jesus because of your obedience in that moment. Okay, so let's close our eyes. So first of all, Let's forgive our pastors, and if you need to forgive me, and even if you want to tell me straight to the face, Amor, I need to forgive you because you offended me in this area, or send me a message, you are more than welcome to do that. I've had many conversations like that, and I love them, because I know the most important thing is not to be right, but the most important thing is to restore relationships so that we can become the body of Christ. So you forgive those people where you've been hurt by the church or your dad. or I just feel that there are some of you, like you, you met Jesus, you were radical, and then it could be your parents, could be teachers, just told you, hey, you're way too radical. Get a balanced life. Just forgive those people. Just say sorry. And then the second commitment, you just tell God that I'm willing to be part of this team, the church, the broken church, the imperfect church. I'm willing. And then you also tell God that I'm willing to love the people around me. Lord, thank you for these prayers that are going up. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love your church. Thank you that you have died for your church and that, that you are waiting for us to get our act together so that you can come back. But Lord, we also know that there's lots of work still to be done before that time. And we just say yes to the call of the Spirit to fulfill the great commission, that's to reach every nation on this planet with your love, with your grace, with your truth, with your word. We just say yes. Since God's speaking to, to people in business, if you're here and you're doing business, you know, somehow do that for, for the kingdom, like Sabrina said. Just say yes, God. Just say yes. And allow for God to speak to you. Thank you, Jesus. And then while every eye is closed, if you're here in this building and you don't know Jesus, you're like, this guy is going on about being the church, but I don't even know who the head of the church is. I don't know 
who this Jesus is. I want to meet with them. And I want you just to raise your hand. Just say that. Okay, you can open your eyes again. Okay, so I want you to look me in the eyes. You are the church. Don't, don't get offended with your team. You are the church. But you are beautifully broken and God is restoring that. And we all should humble ourselves to that place where we don't trust our own discernment or our own ability to maybe be a better coach. No, he's the best coach. Amen. Great. So the band's going to carry on with some worship. Um, and there will be tea and coffee there at the back. And really take this seriously, what we've done tonight. Take the words that you've, that you've heard, what God's saying about George, because that's also part of being the church here in, in our community, but also what God spoke to you now about. If you need to make right with somebody, go and make right with somebody. If you need to repent and you need to ask forgiveness, do that. But let's, let's be the church. Amen. Great.